I rarely in my life have seen democracy actually work. And this is such a good example of democracy in action where a collective group of people have gotten together with one strong, solid voice demanding that that wildlife rehab take place. And the government actually responded positively. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers. I want to take a quick moment to thank all of the Defender Radio patrons. Your monthly support, from as little as $1 per month, means a great deal to me and all of my colleagues at the Fur Bears. Despite downward trends across social media, the show is continuing to grow month over month, and that's because of you. If you'd like to learn more about behind-the-scenes content that patrons receive, special contests for patrons, and more, visit patreon.com slash DefenderRadio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash DefenderRadio. You can also sign up to receive e-newsletters from Defender Radio and the Fur Bears to get notified of new episodes, patron contests, and more at thefurbears.com slash updates. The story of Russell, the orphaned and injured bear cub outside of Calgary, broke hearts around the world. Wildlife rehabilitators and veterinarians were ready, willing, and able to assist by examining his injured leg and, if necessary, providing a safe environment for his rehabilitation over winter. But Alberta Environment and Parks refused. While the story of Russell is sad and what his fate will be following hibernation remains unknown, it highlighted a greater problem. Several indigenous species that the government has decided cannot or should not be rehabilitated from injury or illness or cared for as orphans. The story of Russell also accomplished something remarkable. The government has stated they are now reviewing and implementing protocols for black bear rehabilitation in the province. Due to an overwhelming response by all of you and the hard work of a core of advocates in Alberta, the media did not relent, and the science, ethics, and logic of rehabilitation forced a change. To discuss the cautious optimism of this important victory, the combination of ethics and science behind rehabilitation, and why the advocacy can't end now, Defender Radio was joined by biologist and former rehabilitator Lisa Dalside. We spoke for the first time about this issue um, late last year, and then just a few weeks ago, we did an update, and um, we have set up a online email form for people to contact Alberta Environment and Parks. Uh, we have spoken about Russell, who was likely hibernating, but since that time, and, and right before we released the last interview, uh, which we then had to cancel... The um, government said in the media that they are going to examine or they are going to release bear rehabilitation protocols. Let's start with your reaction to what that news was. I mean, when did how did you hear about it? Uh, I actually, I was feeling, I have to admit, I was feeling in a huff and I was feeling quite hostile in my emotions and I phoned um, Travis Ripley, who is the Executive Director of Fish and Wildlife at, for Alberta Environment and Parks, and I was just trying to explain to him that this was all unnecessary. We had to we had to accept that bears needed to be rehabbed and the science was there and, and they should at least let the bears be come in and the other animals that are banned so that they could do 
post their own post-release studies and I'm going off on a tangent and and he calmly says to me Lisa I think that we're both on the same page now (laughs) and I was just really taken back Um, and he explained to me that they were in the process of getting the protocol all approved on their end the protocols have all been written by the wildlife rehabbers um, many years ago and so it's just a matter of them you know giving their stamp of approval and so I was really just blown away I, I I was in shock. I, I've never, I rarely, I have happened, but I rarely in my life have seen democracy actually work. And this is such a good example of democracy in action where a collective group of people have gotten together with one strong, solid voice demanding that, that wildlife rehab take place. And the government actually responded positively. So it took a long time to digest the information. And and, um, yeah, I'm very pleased, to, to say the very least. I'm very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is, I mean, the, the phrasing I used, and I, I imagine it's probably similar to what you feel, is being cautiously optimistic about yeah. this. Could you explain why, although this is clearly a victory, and I think, as you said, it is a very clear indication of democracy, of the voice of the people collectively being heard uh, and affecting policy, particularly one that's based uh, almost entirely in science, but also has a very, very strong ethical stance. Uh, Why are we cautiously optimistic about uh, this news? Well, uh for for example, AEP is developing the protocol. Nobody in AEP has a, an ounce of experience doing wildlife rehab. So they're not the experts that should be in charge of developing that protocol. That's why I'm hoping that they are just taking the existing protocols in place and maybe just slightly tweaking whatever they want to do, but hopefully not too much because the protocols in place are for Alberta are the best for Alberta. And actually, um, the facility in Alberta is is a leading facility for bear rehabilitation. The enclosures, there's there's not a lot of places that have enclosures that large and provide natural habitat for bears. So we don't need to have um, minimum standards in place that are going to diminish what we already have. and we also, so we want to make sure that, that, yeah, it's not changed too much, that it's in the best interest of bears. I'm really concerned, too, because this has happened in other jurisdictions where the government takes over in, in, in um, defining what animals are suitable candidates for rehab and which ones are not. That shouldn't be up to the government to define. That should be up to the wildlife rehab experts. And so, for example, they may put in age restriction on bear cubs that are allowed to come in and that's ridiculous because other other jurisdictions have proved that you can rehabilitate um, and release successfully injured adults. There's been at Idaho Black Bear Rehab a seven-year-old female who was shot and injured and she had a yearling cub and the two of them went into rehab and were after her medical treatment she was successfully released. Um, there was a two-year-old black bear that they took as well who had his jaw shot off. And um, so he had extensive medical treatment and, again, total successful release. And so there shouldn't be any age restrictions. There um, there shouldn't 
pretty much definition coming from the government period. The wildlife rehabbers, uh, in cooperation with their vets, can assess the animals and see if they are candidates for rehab or not. And and these people are experts. They're not gonna they're not gonna put an animal through excessive suffering. If they feel that the animal should be euthanized, they will make that decision. So so that's a red flag for me if the government may may make standards on who and who who does and who does not get rehabbed. Um, and yeah, so I just want to make sure that we're we're watchful uh, on what the process is taking place. And I'm also concerned about the time. As I mentioned, all these protocols for each and every species that's um, banned, those protocols are already written. Mm-hmm. So the government doesn't need to take years to develop these protocols. Uh, in in my mind, they could they could potentially have them all approved by the spring for for uh, so that we can save lives and and i know that some people might think that this sounds i'm sensationalizing it that this is a life and death matter but it is a life and death matter and and these lives matter and so we want to be sure that we have these protocols in place so that uh, orphans are not getting euthanized or just allowed to suffer a lot of these species are mammals they're dependent on milk if they're orphan we can't just leave them out in the wild and and allow them to starve to death that's just unethical and um and unnecessary so so we i hope that action can be taken really fast and that all these species can be approved for rehab soon one of the aspects of this entire storyline uh for the lack of a better term or this entire timeline that has surprised me was the government constantly saying this was various people within various levels stating that we have to do this based on science and not on emotion. And in talking about the black bear uh, specific rehab, there is a ridiculous amount of science. How much of this in this argument, when, when you talk about this as someone who has the education, who has the practical experience, how much of this is an emotional thing? And how, cause that's, I think a, a difficult subject to talk about, but has to be talked about. Um, is the emotional aspect to wanting to be able to help, but also recognizing that this isn't just, you know, the stereotypical bleeding heart tree hugging, granola munching uh, hippies out there trying to hug bears. I mean, this is steeped in in practical science. Um, How much of this then do you, like, are you able to separate and say, yes, here's the science and yes, here's how I feel. And should both of those still matter? I have actually given a lot of thought to this over over this story unfolding with Russell's case. And I know that society likes to separate our hearts and our minds, but I don't think that's right. And I think every individual can dig deep inside and feel that that I'm right in saying this, that maybe we should have a paradigm shift where we can accept um, as society that our hearts and our minds can be connected and they can be in perfect balance. We can reflect what's going on in our heart and what our emotions are telling us and what our compassion is bringing forth and connect that to what's going on in our heads and, and, and relate it directly to science. And... Um, 
I think that this example with the wildlife rehab is a perfect example of how those two things don't need to be separate, that they can be in balance. And now I know, and I say balance too, because we don't want to go to one extent where you're, you have that bleeding heart and you, and for example, if you're making an animal, an animal suffering prolonged just because you want them to live, um, that, that would be an example of where you really need to have that balance with your head. And, and the balance can be there, and we know as individuals that if our bodies and our, our systems are all in balance, uh, it, it works much better. And, and we know when we look at the environment that if the environment is in balance, everything works much better too. So it's, um, it's important, I think, to have those two things uh, connected. One aspect of this as well, the, the headlines have been about Russell, they've been about black bears, but there are many animals uh, in this schedule uh, that's part of the wildlife uh, rehab permitting process that aren't allowed to be rehabilitated right now due to various thoughts. And again, I say thoughts because I don't know that there is any real evidence backing this up, that they are either dangerous or they are, you know, vector disease carriers or whatever uh, the excuse may be. Um, do we expect that all of these are going to be adjusted. I know you, you've mentioned that you have concern about a timeline, but has Alberta uh, Environments and Parks indicated that their interest is to turn over all of these? That is the indication um, from from my communications with them that that uh, each species will get their approved protocol. However, again, that's that um, that's that caution optimism coming into play too because. Unlike bears, not all the other species on the list have the science backing up their their uh, post-release success. Because it's unfortunate, like the, these rehab facilities, they operate on donations from the public and it's very expensive to do the post-release monitoring. And so a lot of them are released and we don't know what happened to them after releasing them. And so um, like they are all either DNA fingerprinted or they've got a tattoo or something. So if they become a problem animal then we can have that documented if they end up dead and you can identify them but um but other than that we don't really know and and i'm being really trying to find the science to support the other species that are on the list uh and it's not as easy as with bears bears was undeniable there's tons of science on it and and the reason for that is because they were such a controversial species over the last 30 years of rehabbing them that that people did a lot invested that science into them um so i am i am um unsure of how that will unfold but i still don't see any reason uh not just based on ethics but based on the on just like common sense looking and experience as to why any of these other species can't be rehabbed so hopefully all of it's taken into consideration and hopefully they still get their approval and fast like for example bighorn sheep um um uh, or fawns and elk fawns and and mountain goat kids they're all banned and i believe that their reasoning is because of disease transmission and so but they've all been successfully rehabbed and released in the past by various institutions so um it's just a matter of saying okay well we need a vet to give that clean bill of health before we release them it's that simple so hopefully it, hopefully it can happen for every all all the animals and it doesn't sound like there is 
a plethora of evidence saying all of these elk were released and a disease spread as a result. It is exactly. it is sort of the fear that it could happen. Uh, That's exactly it, yeah. All right. Uh, and the other aspect we're going to briefly talk about is what people can still be doing. Um, and this is something I know you and I have talked about and various other people are talking about is that sort of we've hit this milestone of the government saying, yes, we're going to start reversing these things. Does that mean it's time to quiet down or does that mean we keep pushing? We keep pushing. So um, what, I, what I've been suggesting to people is, you know, right, right, uh, our Minister of Environment, thank you, no, thank you for, for taking this initiative. And, and actually, there's been some a lot of really positive initiatives in the last two weeks coming from Alberta Environment and Parks. So you can write them and thank them for all of these changes in policy that have just been made. And, and then just let them know kindly that uh, we're watching, that we are, are, are going to make sure that this actually comes true and that all these protocols do get written because if we stop watching and we all just start celebrating and sitting back in our, our chairs and and not paying attention then it'll get missed and it's just that and and it was missed for the last eight years these species were banned for the last eight years and people like myself have been trying to to stir up a ruckus about it so that that um, the change could happen and it was really difficult it wasn't until Russell came to that field that people started paying attention. So we really have to keep the momentum up, um, keep the pressure on and make sure that our MLAs know that we do care. Uh, there's a petition that's available just for Alberta residents um, uh, that can be signed a hard copy and there's various locations across the province that you can sign this petition and you can visit our Russell's Private Advocacy Group Facebook page to get an updated list of which locations to go sign or just contact us directly and we'll, we'll send you a petition. Um, so that will be a really, we'll be delivering that in March to the legislature and it'll be a really good signal to the MLAs and to the politicians that that we do care and that this is a, a, a voter issue. <laughs> and then we also encourage people still to continue writing your letters and letting them know that, that this is an important thing to us. The science exists and we hope that the science can be reflected in, in um, all of these changes. And yeah, that, we just got to keep an eye on this, keep, keep the story alive, at least until everybody's approved and, and everyone can be rehabilitated once again, as they used to be in Alberta. If you'd like to send a letter to the Alberta government, visit thefurbears.com and search for our Alberta Action Alert. It's also linked in the show notes of this week's podcast. That's it for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Lisa for taking the time to discuss this important update, and all of you for your tireless advocacy. Remember to sign up for Defender Radio email updates at thefurbears.com updates, and show your support for the show for as little as $1 per month for bonus content, special features, and contests at patreon.com slash defenderradio. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you, to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs>